Uh, so as a heads up, this summer we've been going through uh, a new series we've done all summer called The Original Playlist, and that's been going through the Book of Psalms. And we are finishing up that series this morning, and uh, it's been a good one uh, for me personally as well. I hope for you too. Uh, we'll start next week with a four-week kind of vision series. Um, not like It's kind of like speed dating in the sense that, uh, you know, like, you get to kind of bop in and get to know kind of what we're about, why we exist, um, what we orbit around a little bit more. Um, and so that'll be really good in the next four weeks. So just so you know kind of where we're headed. And we're in Psalm 115 this morning. It'll be up on the screen. You can also open if you have a Bible on you. So not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love, and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. When I was in the fourth grade, I received a letter in the mail. It was from like the publishing, publisher's clearinghouse or something like that. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it doesn't really matter who it was from. It was the contents that was inside that was most important. I opened up this letter and it said, you know, you've been entered to win this and scratch these things off. And I started scratching things off and I had won a million dollars. And the more I scratched, the more things just added upon that. And I was so excited that, that I, I came from a poor family and all of a sudden like we were rescued from all of our poverty and now I, we had just become rich and I was, w- was so stoked and nobody was home. I couldn't like share this moment with anybody. So I called my friend Eric and um, who was also in fourth grade and I'm sobbing on the phone and saying, I won all these things, I won all these things. And I had this joyous moment that I was the savior for the family, that my mom was gonna come home and like pat me on the head and go, good scratching, Casey, you have saved us from our poverty. And of course, my joy lasted for like 15 minutes until my mom got home and told me that I had been duped. And she's like, Casey, did you, um, did you buy something from this place? And I'm like, no. Okay, did you enter a sweepstakes? I'm like, no. Do you really think they would give a million dollars to a fourth grader? Yes. I mean, I I just didn't get it, but all my hope was like, okay, I have just won. I have saved the family from this, but really all I've done has been scammed. 
I'd been scammed and I had been tricked by a fake. Of course, the text this morning isn't really about being scammed, is it? But, but it is about fake things that are out there. Um, we're talking about idolatry this morning. And what we have here is we have Israel who's coming together as a congregation and they are saying with each other that we must worship the Lord, that we do not glorify other things, we do not glorify ourselves, but we trust in the Lord. That's what this text is about this morning. Um, I think when people like play the lottery and things like that, they're kind of looking for the same thing that I was looking for when I just did the scratch off things. They're looking for the, the get quick rich scenario where all their dreams come true. Did you know that the odds of winning a lottery are one in 14 million? Roughly, you know, it changes by, by how many people actually play, but roughly one in 14 million. I know you're saying, so you're telling me there is a chance. <laughs> Not really. Uh, one in 14 million is your odds of winning that. Okay, to put this in perspective. If you are someone who goes to play bingo with like 75 people and you play 10 rounds of bingo and you can't win one round, you probably shouldn't play the lottery. If you enter a raffle and buy like 10 tickets and you have a chance of like one in 10 of winning and you cannot win, you should probably shouldn't play the lottery, all right? Your odds are not very good. But the biggest thing about this is, is that you shouldn't play the lottery because your odds are not very good. It's because the lottery cannot deliver what you're searching for. There was a recent study done that said um, that over 50% of people that win the lottery, within three years, they end up miserable. Just think about that for a second. How is that possible that you think all I need is this money to be happy and over 50% of those people end up with divorce, uh, suicide, drug overdose, even their, their kids ODing because all of a sudden they become rich and they have friends that come out of the woodwork that they never knew that they had. But the main thing about that is, is they looked for something for satisfaction that couldn't possibly deliver what they're looking for. That's the answer. As Christians, we know that satisfaction can only come from the Lord. No matter what we search for, no matter what we try to put our all into and our hopes, we know that that only comes out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not going to come from winning the lottery. It's not going to come from being famous. It's not going to come from having a huge career. All of those things are going to leave us empty and unsatisfied. What's happening in our text is the people are surrounded by nations who mock Israel while they're kind of flaunting their own idols and their own gods in this. And Psalm 115 is a plea for God's people to avoid the lie that idols can actually satisfy. You know, just, just avoid that. It's not going to work for you. It's going to end badly. Do not put your trust in idols. Put your trust in the Lord. And obviously they, they remember the stories. They know God. They know he's the one who delivered them. They know he's the creator of heaven and earth. They know all things about God. And they're saying, just put your trust in him. He's the only one that's going to be able to satisfy. So this psalm begins in verse 1. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And the psalm begins with a focus on glory. So we're just going to kind of pause right there for just a couple minutes and focus on, like, what does that mean to actually give glory? Glory is in some ways really hard to find because we have um, kind of hard to define because we have finite minds. To wrap our minds around what glory really is is kind of hard for us to understand, but I'm going to take a stab at it anyways. 
Um, glory is kind of defined in two different ways. One is a noun and one is a verb. And in the noun form, it just means like, like God is glorious. Like the things and the characteristic about God are glorious. It's, it's glory, like God is glory. The other part is the verb, which in response to seeing something glorious, that you give glory to it. Like you've heard the, the statement, give glory to God. So when we talk about God's glory, it is almost like the noun and the verb always come together. They come together because when we are faced with something glorious, our response is to give glory to it. When we really understand how glorious God is, we give glory to God. And there's a couple scriptures that actually talk about this. Um, one is Psalm 66.2. It says, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. So you're, you're singing the glory of his name because God is glorious. There's, just in his name alone, there is glory. So give him glorious praise. In Exodus 15.11, it doesn't use these exact words, but it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? It's actually saying, like, th- there's no one like you. You are above all other things. You are glorious. So let us praise this. And and just speaking those words about God is a way that we give glory to God. And of course, from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So whatever you do, if if you're walking down the street, walking your dog, Give glory to God. Figure out a way to be able to bring glory to his name for the the air that you breathe, for the legs that that are making you walk. It's a way that we show glory. And when we do this, when we live our lives where we are giving glory to God, it's not just for God's glory, and it's not just for our hearts to be changed when we do this. Scripture actually says that those around us will be affected by the way that we live our lives. And I love this, in Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if we are living a life that is giving glory to God, those around us will, will look in, they'll just take, you know, kind of like standing at, at the window of, of a shop and they look in and see the goods that are inside and all of those goods inside just sing praise and glory and worship to God. So whether we're, we're working on our career, um, whether we're, you know, being a husband or father, whatever we do points to Jesus. It points to God to give him glory. It doesn't say, like, look at this career. Look at what I have done. It gives honor where honor is due by pointing to Jesus. The Westminster Short Catechism, it answers question number one, what is the chief man? In other words, what is the purpose in life? And it says, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's our very purpose for being here. It's the reason we were created to bring glory to God, to give glory to God and enjoy him in that. I love that they put the enjoyment part in there. It's not like give glory to God, oh, this is going to be horrible. I mean, find enjoyment in living our lives in a way that brings glory to God. So kind of the way um, this picture of giving God glory is, is that we live our lives in a way that points to Jesus, that we live our lives in a way that points 
to God. So I want you to just kind of picture yourselves in this scenario. Like, what do, you, what do you do in your life? How do you work that out in your own lives? I think about your workplace for a minute. How is the way that you work? How is the way that you conduct yourselves in that environment? How does that bring glory to God? How does it speak that God is glorious? Think about the, the things that you play in, like Ultimate Frisbee, we played that this summer. How is the way that you play and the way you conduct yourselves with other people, how does that bring glory to God? How does that make other people see, wow, God is glorious? That's kind of what we're called to do in response to God's glory. We were created to bring God glory and enjoy him forever. Like the psalm says, we're not just to glorify ourselves. I love that it says, not to us, O Lord, not to us. It repeats it twice. It's almost like, woe is us if we do that, if we fall into that trap of like, not to us, O Lord, not to us. But give glory to your name. The repeated emphasis shows our tendency that when, when things are not going right, that somehow we, we kind of begin to, to point inward just a little bit, that we begin to say, okay, um, things are bad, so I need to try to escalate myself how do I bring glory to myself? How do I make myself look better and stronger in this scenario? Someone says, not to us. Not to us, but to your name. Give the glory. I love that, um, that it doesn't just say give glory to God, does it? It says, to your name, give the glory. To your name. That's kind of a strange way to put it, isn't it? Why not just say give glory to God? Why even put these two together of giving glory to God's name? Before God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, Moses met God. And in Exodus 3, Moses sees this bush that is on fire, but yet it's not being consumed. It's this, this burning fire, but it's not consuming this bush. And God tells Moses through this bush that he's heard the cry of the people and he plans to rescue them and that he was going to send Moses to, to be like his spokesperson that was going to deliver Israel out of this slavery and this harsh treatment in, in Egypt. And Moses, um, who was not very confident in his own ability, he asked God, if people say, you know, who sends me to you, what should I tell them? He's asking God, what is your name so I can tell them about you? What is your name? Seems like a strange question, doesn't it? I mean, think about that for a minute. Why would Moses ask what his name is? Um, especially, you know, we, we don't put a lot of weight in names these days. My, my name is Casey. I think it means brave or something like that, which actually is really good for me because there's lots of things that I've had to, to overcome to even be standing up in front of people and things like that. But other than that, like every other name in my family means like absolutely nothing. My dad's name is Bob. Okay, what do you do with the name Bob? I mean, what does that actually mean? My grandfather's names were Russell and Harvey. Okay, there's lots of meanings in these names right here. In fact, my last name is Johnson, which means son of John. And I'm not son of John, I am son of Bob, which would be horrible. <laughs> Just imagine my name, I'm Kate Casey Bobson. That would be an awfully weird name. My kids' names are Weston and Emmett, which were just old cowboy names. We just liked the way they sounded. Um, Clara is an old lady's name. We said, you know, all of our boys, old cowboy names. All of our girls, old lady names who were popular in the 1900s, early 1900s. So our, our kids' names have no meaning. They don't mean anything. 
We just like the way they sound. But back in the ancient Near East, names had a lot of meaning. Names meant a ton. Names meant who you were and who you were to become. Abram, before he got called to be the father of many nations, his name was High Father. Isn't that interesting that his parents gave him the name High Father? And then God steps in and he says, no, no, you're no longer Abram. You are Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Because that's who he's to become. That was, he was going to be the father of many nations. As many people as the, the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, father of a multitude. His name had meaning. So when Moses asked God, what is his name? He's not just looking for some kind of identification so he can say, oh yeah, th- this God over here, his name is so-and-so, and he sent me to him. He is looking for more information on who God is because if he gets God's name, he will understand what God is all about because there is something in the name. Why do you think scripture talks so much about the name of the name of the name of all over the place, the songs that we just sang? So Moses asked God, give me your name. Who are you? And God's response is, I am who I am. God says, I, I am. And this isn't his name, by the way. I don't want you to, to be confused of like, okay, this is God's name here. Some commentators have said that when God says, I am who I am, really all he's saying is, what does it matter to you what my name is? Why does that matter? It doesn't matter who I am. That, that's not what God is saying here. That's not what God is. Obviously, his name has meaning, and it means a ton. Other commentators believe that it is just, Moses, I just am. I just am. I, I have always been here. I am. Everything else was created. I am. I am eternal. There's a lot that that statement says. But God begins with that in his conversation with Moses And then he tells Moses, like, all of these things that he wants Moses to do in order to set his people free. And then he follows it up with, I want you to do these things so that the people will know that I am Yahweh. He gives us his name at at the end of all that. It's like, do all these things. And I want you to do these things so everyone, everyone will know that I am Yahweh. That was his name. And whenever you come across this, it will be like Lord. It probably says in your, your passage right there. And it's all in caps. You see capital L and then maybe a, a smaller case, capital O-R-D. That is God's name. That is Yahweh. And he says, my name is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My name is Yahweh. So what you have, um, in the Old Testament, you have Lord, when it's all in capitals, it means Yahweh. In the New Testament, you have Lord, which is actually um, Kyrios. And it appears throughout the Bible, you, you will see Lord all over the place. Most of the time, Lord means God the Father. Um, and this is really important. The, the other occurrence is Jesus Christ. This is super important. When it is Kyrios, in the New Testament, it is referring to Jesus Christ. So you have this very important name. How many times do you think Lord appears in Scripture? Take a guess. A couple dozen times? 50 times? 
a hundred times. I mean, how important is the name of God? It occurs over 7,000 times in Scripture. Over 7,000 times. You think that's important? You think that God wants his name known among the nations? Do you think he wants people to refer to him of who he is and what he's going to do? Over 7,000 times you will see the Lord appear. Um, And this is kind of cool. In the Old Testament, when um, it talks about Lord, like kind of the theme of the Old Testament is God is Lord. In the New Testament, it is Jesus is Lord. You, You see them kind of identify in the Old and New Testament scriptures with the name of the Lord. And we see this in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I mean, these couple verses just kind of encapsulate everything that Psalm 115 is talking about. You have Jesus, the name that is above every uh, every name, confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of of God the Father. It's just all encapsulated together. To glorify God the Father, every knee should bow at the name of Jesus and confess that Jesus is Lord. So for an Israelite who's actually going through Psalm 115, you have this picture of God. They already have this image. They already have this person that the congregation is coming to worship, and they know that God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He he is the one that that came and rescued them out of slavery and brought them into the promised land. He is the one that walked before them. He's the one who protected them and guided them. They already know who God is. But when faced with this adversity, they must remember and confess together. We will glorify the Lord. We will bring glory to your name. At the end of that verse, it says, because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. It's saying, you know, we're we're not going to be tempted. We're not going to be tempted to worship these other idols and and step away from you just because we're being taunted by these other nations to say, where is your God? We're not going to do that because we have witnessed your steadfast love. We know that you always love us, that your love never fails us, that you are going to be faithful no matter what. So we're not going to do it. And the congregation comes together and they just sing this together. They're going to stand together because they have witnessed the faithfulness and the deep love that never fails, that never ends, and never gives up. That is the love of God. All right, so um, if you haven't figured this out about my preaching yet, we've made it through verse 1 so far. So I'm going to try to land the plane in the next 17 verses I tell this to Nate like every week. I'm like, you know, this could have been a seven-part series on this verse. So I said, you know what? I'm not even going to try to cover the whole thing. I'm just going to cover most of verse one and then tie in the rest. So here we go. So I find this really interesting that, that when the congregation writes this and this psalm comes together in Psalm 115, it could have easily started off. I mean, what's the point? What gets most of the verses here is, you know, these other gods, you know, they're pretty worthless. Don't follow other gods. 
okay? Don't worship idols. If you have a choice of worshiping idols or not worshiping idols, do not worship idols. It could have started off there and just said that that's what it's going to be, but I love the way the psalmist does this. It just focuses back on God. It says, you know what? If, if you want the motivation of why you're not to worship other idols, it's, it's because our God has been faithful. It's because he's rescued us, because he promises that he's going to rescue us again, that he's going to send a rescuer, he's going to deliver us from all of our sin, deliver us from all of these wicked nations that are around us and bring us into freedom forever. You've got to focus on the Lord first. You've got to focus on Yahweh and bring your attention there. So when we, write, when we go through a text like this, it'd be too easy to just go, hey, guys, don't do it. Don't worship idols. But yet the psalmist says, just glorify God. Put your eyes on him. Focus on God. Focus on his promises. And of course, us on this side of the cross, we can say, put our eyes on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's look at verses four through eight. And this is kind of the response to the chest bump of where is your God Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Um, in verse 3, right before this, it kind of draws the comparison. And it says, our Lord is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. And then focuses on idols. Like, this is what idol, idols will do. I love this, this contradiction here, this comparison. Because here you have God who, the psalmist admit, like, he, he is high, he's up in heaven, okay? He, he's up there. He's created the heavens and the earth, and he is up there in heaven. He's, he's far above all of this that we see right here. He, he's way above this. This is kind of like when you, you get on the stage and you're receiving your, your gold medal when you're in the Olympics, and you think, okay, well, maybe God's getting the gold medal, but my idols are getting the silver and bronze. No, no, no. It's like they're not even in the same place where they're getting this medal. God is far above all that he has created, and he does all that he pleases. Think about this contradiction for a minute. You have God who has created all things. He sustains all things. He has sovereignty over all of creation, and he does whatever he pleases. There, there's nobody that says, well, you know, I'm going to do what you want me to do here because I'm going to do what you, He does whatever he wants to do. He does what he pleases. And in contradiction, what do the idols do? Well, they might have hands. They might have throats. They might have feet but they don't do anything. That's what the psalmists are saying here. You know, the, the idols in these other countries that are worshiping us, these nations that are coming against Yahweh, our God, wanting us to turn away from the worship of our God, our deliverer, our rescuer, these idols can't do anything. They might have appendages, they, they, they might have organs, but they can't do anything. They are absolutely worthless. They are lifeless. And guess what? If you make them and you worship them, you will become like them. You'll become lifeless, just like these idols. You will become lifeless because they are worthless. These idols can't do anything. When Moses receives the Ten Commandments, he's telling Israel that, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. When you go out into this world, all these nations are going to come against you. They're going to flaunt all of these other idols in front of you. But listen to this. 
these, I'm going to give you 10 commandments, all right? And here's the first two. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's talking about himself again. This is who I am. I am your deliverer. I'm your protector. I'm your rescuer. Then commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You think he knew like the status of the other nations and what was going to come about? Second one, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't worship other gods. Don't bow down to these graven and created images. Stop, okay? So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, well, you know, that was back in their time. You know, we don't have a lot of graven images and statues around. You know, we don't really do that. That was kind of for back then. We don't have to worry about that. We can just kind of sweep that one under the rug and just let it go. I would argue with you that we face more idolatry in our world today than the world has ever known. What you face on a daily basis is more, I mean, if the nations were around us were just worship, worshiping statues, how much easier would this be? I mean, we could just look at this text and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not supposed to worship statues. We're good. Listen, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Ah, man, that's a little more tangible, isn't it? I think maybe we we do that a little bit. All right, I'll raise my hand. I do that. I do that a lot. Okay. Constantly in my life, I'm I'm choosing things and putting hope in things that cannot satisfy me. Cannot give me peace. Cannot give me joy. Cannot bring me happiness. And I get to the end, and I'm like oh man, did I really just walk down that road and put all my hope in this thing that it was going to give me this kind of joy? Repent, start back over again. An idol is anything that draws your attention that says, you know what, if I have that thing, if you believe in your heart of hearts that if you have that thing that you'll be satisfied, that you'll be good, that is an idol. It steals your heart and your affections away from giving the glory to the God who created you and knows you. Anything we give that to other than God is an idol. Tim Keller shares an illustration in his book, Encounters with Jesus, and he's, and he's talking about um, a guy named David Foster Wallace, and I don't know if you remember who he is. Actually, I think it was Time Magazine or something like that that voted him the top 100 uh, writers of our generation. And uh, he was an American writer and an intellectual and he got to the top of his profession, and he got invited to do this um, commencement speech at this college. And in this, this is what he said. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before 
your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need um, ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. I think the reason I love this quote so much is because when I look around the world, you just see that everybody worships something. Everybody worships. And you, here you have David Foster Wallace, who the guy is not even a religious guy. This guy is not even a Christian. And he's acknowledging, like, from my experience, everybody worships something. If, if you're not going to worship a, a God out there, you will worship these things, your beauty, money, your own talent. The tragic thing about David Wallace is that he ended up committing suicide. And when you read this quote and you see pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive, is what he said. And he ended up taking his own life because he chased idols that could not satisfy and ended up eating him alive until he took his own life. What a tragedy. Even though you might not call these things worship, we worship other things. Anything you give your heart's affections to other than God is an idol, and we worship those things. And whatever we worship that is not God in the end will eat us alive. We all worship something. You know, the only way for us to become free from our destructive idols is for us to shift our attention off of our idols and shift it back towards the one that we were created to worship. Shift our eyes back on Yahweh, the one who rescued Israel, the one who created and sustains everything, the one who promised that he was going to send a rescuer that would save the world, the one who sent his own son Jesus, who was the great rescuer. Unless we focus our eyes back on him, we will always be consumed by our idols. That is the only way. You know, I used to be a bartender down in Orlando, and we had, there was this huge nightclub, and we had people from all over the world that came in, and we, we constantly got counterfeit money. And to the point where we had um, somebody from the Department of the Treasury that came in to train us on how to identify fake bills. So we had this like all day training thing, all staff wide, which first of all was painful because we stayed up to like four o'clock in the morning and then we had to get up in a couple hours to go to this whole training thing. But what I found really interesting about this is how they trained you to identify fake bills. You know, I was expecting them to come up, like open up this, this suitcase and like light would come out and they would start passing around like, see all of this money that you are touching is a fake. None of it is real. Study these bills and see why they are fake. But they didn't do any of that. You know what they did? They got out some bills and said, okay, here's the real bills. Look at them. Study these real bills. And, and we, we looked at these and we're able to identify certain characteristics in each one of these bills that when we looked at these, you could just look at a fake and identify it because you had studied the real thing for so long that you knew what a fake actually was. It's kind of what the psalmist is doing here. 
It's like you have walked with God your whole life. He's always been there with you. He's rescued you. Put your eyes on him. Put your focus on Jesus Christ. And you will identify what these fake idols are. You will understand how worthless they are, that they cannot do anything, that they are lifeless. And if you put your eyes on Jesus, you will not become lifeless like these idols, but you will come alive with joy. Put your trust in the one who said he would rescue you. Put your eyes and your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and, and I know that when we talk about idolatry, it's so easy for us to just think about a family member or a friend who maybe we feel like we're a little better than. Um, maybe we're not quite as consumed with our own idols. But Father, I ask that right now that you identify things in our own lives that we put before you, things that we put hope in, things that we think could bring us satisfaction outside of you. Bring those to our attention so that we might be released from them and put our eyes back on you. Father, you are the only one who can rescue. You are the only one who can bring us satisfaction. You are the only one who can bring us joy. You are the meaning in life because you have created us to bring you worship, to bring glory to your name. So right now, as a community, as a congregation, we admit within our hearts of hearts that we are sinners and that we worship other things, but we know deep inside our hearts that you are the only one who can satisfy and we direct our worship towards you. Father, help us to continue to do this and walk as a congregation so that when one man falls, another might pick him up. Father, I know this is going to happen. Help us to be a community who trusts you, who trusts what your word says. And we bring you glory. Glory to your name.